This is Stories of Win, where we showcase amazing women in neuroscience. We chat with them about their research, their unique journeys through academia, and what drives their passion for studying the brain. Here is one of their stories. Hi everyone, this is Margarida from Stories of Win, and I have the pleasure today of interviewing Dr. Vanessa Coelho Santos. Dr. Vanessa is a junior leader at the Coimbra Institute for Biomedical Imaging and Translational Research in Portugal, and her lab aims to study how neurovascular coupling develops during the neonatal period using live imaging approaches. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for letting me interview you today. Thank you for the invitation. It's our pleasure to have you. Um, so we start as we usually do, which is how did you get interested in neuroscience? And maybe if you want to also tell us how you got into science overall in the first place, you can also do that. Well, I grew up in a very small village, more or less like countryside in Edgamil. And of course, we didn't have role models of scientists. We only have like books. It was very like sparse kind of thing. But I remember we have this Ciencia Viva that is still they still do it. Um, some internships during the summer. So probably it was like middle, high school. So I was not senior yet. So they have this uh, internships. And I was like, okay, I think I can try that. At the time it was like cancer as genetic disease, something like that in cancer hospital. It was a science thing. So basically it was the first time I saw like scientists. They have a small lab inside the, the, the hospital. They do like PCR at the old fashioned way with bats and they got like a platform patients and they try to do a genealogical tree to see what is the mutation, if the father has the mutation. So in the end, we need to do like this genealogical tree and see who was the first one to have the mutation and also if the, the generation could have that. And it was very important for me to decide, well, I like this, I like to be in the lab. That was one of the things that decided that, okay, I, I really like science, but also because I was very interested in astrophysics, I remember asking my parents to go for um, night planetarius, and I met Maxim Freire. So he was one of the, the main also names in the field. And I asked him, had a conversation, what he thought about uh, astrophysics career in Portugal, to really decide what I should do. He told me, well, I think you should go as a hobby and not as a professional thing. So I basically put everything on scale. First, my parents say that is not a, a girl's job. Also, the, the, the fact that Maxim Freire said, well, you should go for a hobby. And I really like to be in the lab and know the people. So that was the first, the first contact and the crucial moment. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really interesting and also, um, well, as a side note, very relatable to me because uh, I also did a Ciencia Viva internship in my <laughs> high school and it was also a very important thing for me to understand that I really liked being in the labs. It can really have a big impact, these early research experiences. And so then you went to do your bachelor's in biotechnology. So how did you like it? Did you still feel like research was your main focus there? Or did you consider other options? So I select biotechnology because it was the most broad bachelor that you can have. And was very recent. And one particular thing that made me choose biotechnology in Coimbra was the internship. Of course, you are in the agriculture school, so you work much more with animals, so it was fun. I think the practical part of my bachelor was the best, but it was very applied for um, agriculture. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And so when did, was it later in your master's or already into your PhD that you stumbled across more neuroscience? Even if we reduce a lot the time from the internship in the bachelor, we remain with like four or five months. Uh, and I approached a lab, Claudia Centro. Now she's in SEDOC, but at the time she was sharing the lab with much more older professor, uh, Ricardo Bovida. So she worked with antioxidants extracted from plants, ginkgo biloba, a lot of like different leaves. And we need to extract the antioxidants and apply for a narrow cell line, I think it was a Parkinson cell line. So I was like, okay, that is interesting because I'm applying some of the know-how and the knowledge I have, but still starting a little bit more lab and, and neuroscience. So that was the first, I think was the first contact direct with neuroscience. And then I didn't know what to do. I don't know if I want to work and save more time or apply for a master. And I remember a lot of my colleagues apply for a master and I was like, maybe I should try and apply for the Sular and Molecular Biology in Coimbra. That was, and still is, a very good one. And I entered in that. Okay, so then in that master, uh, you have neuroscience as an option, right? Mm -hmm. I have the specialization, okay. yeah. You have the option to select if you have specialization in, I don't know if it's neuroscience or neurobiology, but I select that. Yeah, so I have much more like... And then what was uh, the topic for your master thesis? What did you work on? So I work in microglia cells and methamphetamine, so a drug of abuse. Quite completely different from the, the, the bachelor. Well, still in, in cells because it was not in vivo, it was cell line. Um, but I was really interested for that topic. Okay, I see. And so then you were enjoying neuroscience, you did your master's, so far everything was going great. So was the PhD like a obvious next step for you? Yeah, it was. No, it was not. No, I spent two years in the lab. But, but I want to say something about the master, that now I remember. And it was the first month was very hard because the way that was formulated, you have a class or a course per month, but it was completely different from you when you have different classes and then you have like, um, um, you have like a couple months to process and then you have the exam. That was a shock. I remember like, I feel I'm done. I feel I'm done. I don't know nothing. And it was very different because it was very focused on our science. I think the change, when now that I put in perspective, it was, was hard. It was very interesting. And after a couple of months, I enjoy it. And now I feel like it is much more interesting this way because you only think during this specific, specific time for that discipline and then you move. Uh, but you need to be like open to the process. And because I was still thinking in my bachelor, if it was now, I, I, I would prefer like work more in the lab, finish and probably publish a small paper and then move to the master instead of like do everything in the row, everything at the same time. Yeah. I can relate to the challenge of the process, especially if you're still finishing your bachelor's. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I had not thought about it. And so, Then, then I, I finished the, the master and I had the opportunity to stay in the same lab. So the lab had the projects uh, funded um, in a different topic, even related with um, 
drugs of abuse because it's the topic of the lab, of course, but working a different model. And it was the time that uh, I got my contact with vessels. Uh, so that is important one. <laughs> so they got this project funded for study how drugs could interact with the, the brain vessels and how they can enter, how they can affect them be before enter like the brain. And I got the opportunity to stay that for a year and a half, two years uh, before it, what I did before the, the PhD. So I work after the master, stay like with this fellowship, uh, working vessels. And then is when I moved to the PhD. You talk about this love for the vessels. So was it something that particularly fascinated you or was it the main thing that interested you in the research that you were doing? They are like a gateway, right? They, they are the ones that say you enter, you don't enter. <laughs> you basically, they control what can be inside or cannot be inside. And also they are the main ones, they supply the brain. So, so when I got that fellowship, it was when I got the first sense, uh, the importance of vessels, of course, because before I was working or neuron or the microglia, the, the polis of the brain. So I was inside the brain. And then I was like in the periphery, like the, how they can behave before enter the brain. So who controls? Um, and I really love that all the topic and how fascinating they can control and different expression uh, of receptors or transporters, what you have in the blood, completely different what you have in the, the brain. And that is like how they know. It's like how they, they made this control and how they know how they can, even the flux, how they know can be more oxygen to this side, more oxygen to that side. So everything that's, about vessels I was really fascinated. And that was the fellowship that made me learn about. And I was like, I want to do a PhD on something related with vessels. Um, so I tried to apply some of the things that I learned from the, the fellowship into the PhD, but completely different topic with a different drug. So it was not a abuse one, it was a, a legal. <laughs> Bacillin uh, Okay. So legal in the, in the sense of uh, it can be prescribed to patients in certain conditions, I guess? Yeah, so I work with a Ritalin, Tilfinidate, so as a, a medication, a first line of medications to ADHD children. Um, so, and was to, the main goal was to try and understand the effects of this medication uh, during this period of time. So I start work also with development uh, during a period of time comparing control with HD model and see if perhaps when you have a misdiagnosis, you can have an effect and also how beneficial because is already being proved is the first line of medication. So of course has benefits and how could be this effect. Um, and like particular vessel, um, vessel effects, but also some behavioral. Okay. And so you were working with uh, mice at the time? Uh, no, this one was rats. Rats. Okay. Yeah. And so it was also a transition from something more cellular to a live organism. Did you enjoy that process? Yes. So during the, the fellowship, we did uh, a little bit of mix. So we have 
cell lines, we have this primary culture. So use rodents for having the cells that we want, but of course use much less time. And you start to have a collaboration with a hospital for pieces of brain from uh, epileptic patients. They are refracted to medication, so they need to remove the epileptic focus. Um, and we use that for our cultures. So, and I use that for the PhD. So I use human cell lines, human um, primary cultures, and also the rat uh, models. But I, I enjoy it, work with, with rodents. Uh, especially rats is much more docile and sweet. <laughs> and the ADHD one, they remember you. They, they are, because I need to do gavage every day. Uh, and normally I did like a little massage in the belly. So I open the cage and they already know they're waiting. They are much more, they are much more smart than, than mice. So it was hard when I need to sacrifice them, that is for sure. But work with them was now, uh, when I work with, with mice, they don't care. They, they bite you even if you go there every day. They always think you are the enemy. Yeah, there are a lot of differences for sure. And so is there any specific thing that you discovered? So any specific result that you had during your PhD that you were more surprised about? We found out that if we have a real and good diagnosis, so if we decide, okay, some passion, some kid has ADHD and gets the, the, the medication, they really get beneficial from that. So we, we saw decrease of neuroinflammation uh, associated with vessels as well, um, like in the behavior, of course. But we have a threshold. So, and we try like have that, the threshold, the, the behavioral, like anxiety, comparing what they do in the clinic because they do the same thing when the kids start to feel anxious is when you need to stop to increase the doses. So we use the same methodology for the animals for like be a little bit comparable, of course. And we measure also in the serum to try to have a biomarker. I know now some uh, studies in Coimbra, at least in a hospital, try to make that uh, or try to to measure in adults and see if it could be related. Of course, in kids, probably it's much more sensitive, but they, I know they're trying to do this measure in, in, in adults. And you don't, when you don't have a good diagnosis, like, like control, you perturb the, the barrier. So all the vessels, you create the opposite. So you have much more inflammation, you have uh, open of the vessels so everything could enter in the brain so basically it's this uh, you really ha need to have a good diagnosis if you have that methylphenidate is is the first line and really have benefits in the brain and when you have when you don't have you could like perturb the de development of like normal developments and i think one of one interesting result that made me go for the next step was the fact of the ADHD model, without any treatment, presents a lot of um, abnormal uh, protein in the vessel. So it could be related or not with neurodevelopment, but I thought it was something that, okay, per se, uh, when comparing to control animals, the ADHD model presents already some alteration in the vessels. There was not, uh, I don't know if it was rescued by the 
by the medication I don't I don't remember right now uh, but he got already like some feature in the vessel that was altered and that's what got me okay maybe vessels could be related or development with neurodevelopment disorders Okay, I see. I see how it all comes together now. That's really interesting because you really worked with different models and you also had a clinical aspect or a clinical implication that was very obvious in your work. And then you developed your passion for vessels, I guess. And so then you got, got interested in this developmental side and more applied to, I guess, rodent research, right? How did you choose your postdoc lab? And uh, also because you moved to the US, how was that experience also? Well, that's because I did the master, the fellowship and the PhD in the same lab. So I know that I need to change for something like completely the, like a different lab, a different country. <laughs> Not that I, I didn't like it, but because it's value in science. So of course I thought I need, uh, I need something, I need something big. <laughs> And it let me move because it's what science asks for. Ask you for move, ask you for challenge, for learn new technologies, new language, expand your network. So, um, and because I was in the same lab that I was with Vessel, and I learned a lot of different methodologies, like in vitro, like uh, not only cell line, but primary cultures, human <laughs> tissue, rodents in general, because The fellowship also work with mice, and then the PhD I work with rats. So it's a different uh, methods that I'm like, I need something that completely different to study vessels. So when I start to look the the two photo microscopy, because I need something in vivo, I need uh, a technology to see vessels moving and function. So I need flow. Um, So I was like, okay, I need to learn to photomicroscopy in, in vessels, particular brain vessels. So I did a, a top five labs, good ones, that work uh, in brain vessels and do to photomicroscopy. <laughs> so I did that. Uh, at the time, I think my fellowship was end in March and I started contact labs in, in December. Uh, of course, everything takes time. Now I know how to say, even like when people ask me for advice, I would say, don't write, don't wrote everything on your subject. <laughs> Because I remember, I, th I think this, my subject was like short fellowship, uh, whatever, whatever. And it's like, now I know I need a visa. And that takes a lot of time to forget, so don't don't say nothing short. <laughs> Just say you want to do, you want to learn, because everything takes time and sometimes they don't they open and it's like, well she wants to come here a couple months and I don't know, we'll take four months just for the visa. <laughs> And then we need to pay for the visa because we need to sponsor and she only stay here six months. Because it was the time, um, was basically the time between I delivered the thesis and defend the thesis. So I used that time for that first uh, fellowship, for the first internship. Um, but the, the, well, I was very picky. I was like, 
specific labs that work with us because I want to learn this technology because it was something that I needed in my CV. Um, so for that, I remember like uh, I got some no answer, of course. I got some no's <laughs> and I got a yes. That was the lab that uh, I did also my postdoc. But this was before that. I applied for a, um, a flat, Luzon American Fellowship, uh, for these six months because you, yeah, and I recommend people apply that because you can do during your PhD or before you do your postdoc. You need to be a PhD student, so it doesn't matter if you are finishing or not. So, and you are the one that select the time, and that I just select six months because it was what I wanted. Um, but was that I, I really was uh, very selective. <laughs> then you had, I guess you're telling me a bit how visa, how getting your visa was hard, but what about the actual moving? Because I guess you were always, as you were saying, you spent uh, all your time up until then in Portugal and moving away is, uh, is hard. Was it hard? Was it a challenge to finish your PhD, start a postdoc and move far away? Well, it's never, and moving is never easy. Um, so, For this first move, uh, that was before the PhD, defend the PhD, so in between the PhD and the postdoc, I went, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and I spent like four, six months there. Uh, and for, for that, I, I stayed like in a room, <laughs> sharing, uh, very close to, to, very close to the university, but In, in the south. Uh, it's a very rich city, but you don't have like transportation because everyone has their own car. You have mansions, so <laughs> everything is very pretty and it's a very pretty city for visits, but for live, if you don't have a car, it's very hard. Uh, and of course, it was expensive to change, uh, but I got lucky that the lab pay me the, the room. So I basically use the rest of the fellowship for my flights, like daily life expenses, um, like food and etc. But the lab pay me the, the, the house. So that was, was a really help. And this lab, after one month, invite me to, to do the postdoc. So was that how, was how I got, was the best interview ever because I was doing science in the lab uh, and they invite me to, to join the lab in Seattle because the lab moved to there. Uh, so the PI already knew that it was to move the next year and he knows, how, uh, he, he knew it, that I was to defend my PhD and I was looking for a postdoc, of course. And it was like, well, if you want to move with a lab to Seattle, you have a place there. And so I decided to move with them. <laughs> so this was, yeah, I defended my PhD in, in February of 2018. And I started the postdoc in August 2018 because of the visa. Okay, I get it now. Okay. And then I guess that you also enjoyed the time as an intern there. And uh, I guess maybe it was also a start for your postdoc 
And so what exactly did you work on during that time? So during both the internship and the postdoc? During the internship, I had a project that I didn't <laughs> work on nothing on that because uh, the animals that we want to use for the particular work need to be used for the, the PhD students. They needed to use the animals. So I remember the first conversation I have with Andy, that was my, my PI at the time, he told us, what is your dream project? And I was like, or what do you want to do? And I thought that was the most important question that someone asked me so far. And I was like, I, I want to study neuro, like how the vessel develop during the neonate period using two photo microscopy. And he was like, well, there is no protocol for that. I can teach you what to do in adults and you maybe can try to do the protocol. So basically I start the steps for the protocol for something that I want to do because there was no, not a good protocol, not a one that is not invasive, that allows us to see a long time. So it was more like terminal and a lot of invasive. So basically I start the roots of the protocol, like how we should do uh, the tools and all the material to adapt everything from adults to a pup. <laughs> baby mice everything like small size and we need to like basically print everything from you okay that's really cool and that's also a bit like a different approach to science i mean developing a new technique is a, a slightly different thing did you enjoy the process as well or <laughs> some days no <laughs> some days it was very hard I, i remember like feed little pups with milk because the moms just kill them and I need to learn how to teach them <laughs> that is normal or I remember like just anesthesia for have the moms and their anesthesia for so the pups could drink and, and have food. Wow, yeah, I was not even thinking about that dynamics because yeah, that sounds hard. Yeah, because it's something like the smell, everything that is different, they're gonna they're gonna kill the animal is what they do is like cannibalism that is it's very frequent in animals because they don't want to spend milk or energy with an animal that will not survive so so i learned all the these little tricks and now everything works perfectly that's cool and is it something that you already see a lot of people using your technique or is it still something it's still in development well we just published in 2021 um, and the protocol per se, like step-by-step step in 2022. So of course you need to give time for people. I know they are more interested because I got a feedback, even in conference, asked me for a lot of details. So I hope they use it and they see my name. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's still very new. But that's cool, I guess, that you're creating science and creating new tools. And also the, the research topic that you're interested on is really, there's still a lot to do. And so I guess that's also why it is your interest for your lab and it makes so much sense. But then I'm interested. So I guess up until now, it feels like research for you was something that you didn't question. So even when you were doing your postdoc and when you started to decide, okay, maybe I will apply for individual positions, You always continued focus on science? Even the first time I moved to US, I knew like grants and a fellowship that I want to apply next. Like I remember even the first day I read that like in five years, I want to apply for Marie Curie or a similar 
to go back to Portugal. So it was something that I always say. Even for PI, uh, it was something that was natural. uh, Of course, I question myself a lot of times, like if I am able for or if I have capacity. Uh, Every time I apply for a fellowship, it was like, if I don't get this, uh, or I get, you know, at least I find myself and I'm able to write uh, projects and fellowships. So I think I'm going to be able to be a successful PI. Um, so I think that was the, um, the way I metric the sense if I am good or not. Um, like if, if every time I apply for a fellowship or for a grant or for something that I don't get, of course, I know it could be hard to say that for yourself because a, a lot of things depends on other person. Like, of course, you have reviews. Reviews are people as like us and they have something they like more than others that is for sure uh so it's it's kind of punish for you if you say that but it was the way i i I evaluate the the my science is every time i get something or if i get something funded okay i'm gonna be successful later on um i think that was the the most the way that i met that i measure that but also i asked for andy uh, for have like side projects with technicians, and I will be I was the the mentor, uh, so like I could pay PI with his money, <laughs> and see if I was like a good mentor people because one thing that is not only write papers at least for me is also how you influence others, how you teach them, how you you know mentor them. And if I was not enjoying or a good one doing that, it's also a way to measure. So I asked him for have like some side projects that I was the one that at least they, every time they have like a question or something, they go to me. And I need to solve that before go to them. Because when you are a PI, you don't have anyone above you that you can ask for help. Of course, you can ask for your peers. Uh, but the last decision is yours. So, and that was, I think was natural, but of course it's not easy. I always have like, if I'll be good enough, if I will get the next, the next contract, the next grant, how you can fund the lab. That is something that is always here (laughs) constantly. And you cannot like shut down that voice. But you can manage it with uh, time and experience and so on. Yeah. So you ended up only doing one postdoc. And I guess that was part of your plans because you were saying that already when you moved to the US, you were thinking about applying to individual grants. But you got the position very early on. So even before the five years deadline of uh, yeah. <laughs> so of starting your postdoc. So now you've, you officially have a, an individual position. So how has been the transition from postdoc to becoming a team leader? Well... That, I think that was more challenge than when go to US, to be honest, because uh, first I moved back from my country and every if you think it's, everything is easier, sometimes it's not, right? Because I, I was in a lab that had money. So 
for money was not a concern for doing science. Um, if you want to do something, of course, you're not going to spend a lot, but you can do whatever it's like. It's basically you have an idea, and if it makes sense, you can you can do it. Uh, and and all the bureaucratic work, you, you don't know. You are like the PI does that, right? You have the sense of some of the things, but not exactly everything now all the details all the protocols all the everything <laughs> is on my side <laughs> so sometimes it's like i don't have as much uh, fun in science <laughs> but but the problem i only moved in in december so it was like it was very recent um but again i need to apply for more things because uh, my contract is only three years uh, so i I'm already applying constantly for and looking for more opportunities. But I guess I only did the one postdoc. Uh, and yeah, probably was less than five years. I apply also for a Marie Curie and that I got, but I accept the, the La Caixa because it was longer. And also uh, I have more money for science. Um, it's been more challenged than for the postdoc. For the postdoc is more fun. It was like, your project, your lab, as, as you don't need to, to think about how to fund your science. Even if I apply for an American Association fellowship that I got, because again, I want to measure my ability to, for writing fellowships, for uh, writing projects, and also have that on my CV. Because if you go there, of course, they have money for pay your salary, and you probably have good publication, but of, in the end, if you have more lines in your CV, it will be much easier for your next step but I think the transition has been everything has been very recent and I think because of that I have this kind of sense right because was moving have get a house <laughs> like even like drive I there I was walking every day now I need to drive again every single day and write all the animal protocols not the sense where the facilities are how I can have the animals, what I need to know, meet a lot of people. So, uh, so of course, it is overwhelming some days. But for the other, other sides, I have the control, right? I can do my own questions. Not that I didn't have in any lab. In the lab, I always have the freedom for do my own questions. So, like, our first conversation was, what is your dream project? So I'll, I always have like freedom to ask or, or do what I want. But in the end, of course, the last word will be his one. And like everything needs to have his set, it's like his eyes on that. Uh, because it will be his name on last. So you have, he has the responsibility for that. And now uh, for the good and bad. Is yeah, yours. yeah. I can imagine that it's really for the good and bad. So there's also a lot of pressure. And so I guess because you're in the beginning, there are still a lot of things that probably you don't know how they are going to roll. But I think it's interesting, like in perspective, how how do you see the lab, like you as a leader or the topics that you'll be studying? If you look in perspective for the next five years, what would you like to achieve in any way or even in mentoring 
Well, for the lab, uh, I really want to dive into these questions like how vessels, how the neurovascular units, right? How the vessels interact with the other cells to form these units during the neonate period, of course. And if you perhaps have a injury or a challenge, if that could lead to neurodevelopment disorders, uh, but using something that I can see because I'm a very visual person. So I really like, like see the cell, see the moving, how they interact. Uh, so using live imaging in particular, not only molecular and more in the solar resolution as the photomicroscopy, but using like more preclinical that you can apply uh, more directly like photoacoustic, fMRI, um, so you can see what is happening inside the brain and related with pathologies or normal development. Uh, so I want to shift some of this sense how like they interact, how we can form uh, and see them forming. In terms of the lab and how I, I, I would like to have an ERC, <laughs> There will be uh, yeah a life achievement in terms of the lab. I would like to have more like students that at least a master and a PhD to join the lab. That of course, and I've like them my first <laughs> my first students can say and starting growing. That imagine a couple years. I have already like couple master students and probably the first PhD student defend his his or her PhD. Uh, thesis and of course have ERC or Lakasha or something similar that's allowed me to continue run the lab, ask my own questions. If possible in Portugal, <laughs> that was something that I would like to stay but I'm only child and so I'll be more close to family. As my husband say, our parents are not get any younger. So that is something that's uh, uh, always like in my mind too, but if if not, stay close, like in Europe, like Spain, France, like close by, uh, because after you live in Seattle, that is no other side, Spain is right in the corner. So if I will stay in, in Spain, it's also, it's also a good place to stay. That's good. That's good. And that's also a lot of things that you have uh, in perspective already that you want to achieve. Uh, looking at your uh, career so far, it sounds very focused and successful and uh, incredible that you were able to achieve all of these things. And so I think one interesting thing that I would like to ask you is like, what was at any stage of your career an unexpected lesson that you got from academia or anything that you w would like to share, if you have any? Uh We need to have a lot of resilience because of course you say that I have a lot of achievements, but I apply for a lot of things that I get no. Of course, I only share a lot of like, you know, I apply for, I got this, blah, blah, blah. But before that I apply for four, imagine. And I got one, <laughs> that is normal. And But I, I think I learned that in my first year of the PhD. I remember like work very hard. I went to Porto for a couple months and we have like this paper that was a very good one with a lot of like molecular mechanisms and knockouts using uh, human uh, endothelial cells, using frets, using a lot of technology. And the paper was rejected six times. 
One was during the lunch time. We submitted before going lunch, and when we returned, <laughs> was already rejected. And yeah, well, and that was, I think, was the moment I realized we need to be resilient. And and as I say, is not is not you. You don't need to take that personally, because sometimes it's like the taste, as like is how the others see your work. Uh, if they like the topic or not. Uh, sometimes, of course, is the name. Uh, I don't. I don't say no because network is very important. And they, someone knows your name and associate to a face is also very important because sometimes you you see a paper, and you could be more biased if you know. Okay, I know this person. Maybe I can give the benefit of doubt and read it, and try to like push forward and give more uh, insight on the review. Because now that I review papers, I know it's very hard. Uh, and sometimes when I know it's even harder <laughs> because I don't want to, they don't know, they don't know your name. They're normal, sometimes it's anonymous, sometimes it's not. And I think it's better if it's not because you are more careful with the words because sometimes it can be very rough and very rude. And I don't think you need to do a good a good review and be rude. You can be also uh, scientifically impolite and say the same thing. Uh, but you need to build resilience on that. Uh, even like applying for fellowships, uh, I apply for in my in, in the in the first year of postdoc, I applied for four. I didn't got I got one. I think I got the American Association, but I that was not. Like on the same time, so I apply for one, didn't get, I apply for another, didn't get, apply for another, didn't get, and then I apply and I, I got. So you need constantly, you need, you need like apply for a lot of things and sometimes forget you apply. And so I apply for many <laughs> and then you got a rejection and the next week you, you got it and you forget that you were like got the rejection in the first place. But I think the, the one that, no, I don't say it was more challenge, but it was the one that you, I realized were okay. I need to build resilience on this. I don't take personally, and and it's like it is what it is. Um, and the other side that is a people, this person that with a lot of like other things, other things in mind, and and I think is that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a really important thing for um, us to be able to navigate without just having all day long frustration. So I think resilience is for sure very important. I think we've talked about your career. We've talked about what you want your lab to be in a few years. So I think we can finish off with something light. So now that you're starting a new position and I, I believe that is very stressful for sure. What are you doing to relax? It can be a hobby. It can be something you do on your free time. Well, right now I don't have a lot of free <laughs> time, but I, I I love travel. It's what I like the most. Uh, in fact, I did like two weeks two weeks ago. I went to Tenerife. So every time I have like opportunity, like my calendar to just travel and see other and do a road trip. Uh, it's what I like to do. I have a lot of books <laughs> that I don't read, but I I, I hope one day <laughs> I can read them. Uh, but I, I, I enjoy read paper, 
papers. I know that it sounds weird, but sometimes I'm reading something that is not even related with my field. Like, it could be something in brain, but not like vascular. But because I, I, I want to know, like to learn new techniques, like, or uh, different ways to think this different problem, but using the same, I can apply that or can I not. So I really enjoy read papers just because I enjoy. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you.